Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Let's find the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, and we're going to be in the 14th chapter. When I was a kid, my mom and dad decided it would be a great idea to send me away to boys club camp. Now, I don't really know what the deal was on that, but it was cool. But it was one of those you go and you spend the night away camp. So you leave on Monday morning, you come home on Friday afternoon. And there was this stop where a van would pick up the boys, and we'd get on the van and we'd go to boys club camp. And so I'd never done that before. I was about nine years old. I was a little freaked out by it. And so what happened was I'm getting on, and the handful of guys around me that I don't know, they've already gotten on the van. And when I'm getting on the van, you know the, the old vans, you used to have those doors that would open and close? Well, my thumb got caught in the door. And it hurt so stinking bad. I mean, I wanted to cry. I wanted to cuss. I wanted to scream. I wanted to do everything all in one. And it was that bad. You know when you do something like that, and it, you can feel it pulse when it just hurts so bad? We got to boys club camp wilderness area and everything. We meet our counselor who stays in the TP thing you stay in, you know, and he looks at my thumb and he said, man, I bet that hurts. And immediately I thought, wow, I've got a sharp counselor for the week. <laughs> he took a paper clip and unbent it and then he lit a match and he heated the end of a paper clip and he held my hand and he took that paper clip and it burnt through my nail and it let all that pressure escape. I thought it was the single coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life because there's so much pressure, blood reached the top of the teepee. I mean, all of us guys were like, whoa! Well, not thinking clearly as a nine-year-old, I thought, let's do this some more. <laughs> so I heated the paper clip and did every finger on my right hand. When I got home, my mom said, son, what did you do? I said, mom, the first one was so cool. She said, did it not occur to you that he was helping the fact that you had busted your thumb? Hmm. You know what? There are some things in life you just learn the hard way. That was one of them because I had holes in all five fingernails, and trying to tell that story got to be a little ridiculous. But the one that hurt felt a lot better. Now, at this camp, you do cool stuff all day. You know, you do races and canoeing and fishing and you make craft stuff and learn how to tie knots, all that kind of stuff you do at boys camp, right? So, so at the end of every day, you had to go up this path. Now, it was a well-worn path. It was probably about a mile, but at nine, it feels like it's 100 miles, right? I mean, because it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's early in the season, so the briars are kind of growing over in there and you're wearing shorts, you know? And, and back in that day, of course, you wore like shorts and then like your socks came up to your knee, right? You know, they always had like the blue or the red stripe around them, you know, and it, they were so goofy looking, but for some reason, that's what you dressed in. So, you know, the briars would get you. At the end of a mile, you came to this lake and there was a cliff overlooking the lake. When you got to the cliff, the job was to jump off the cliff. It's about a 20-foot fall. Now, again, when you're nine, you feel like that wide world of sports Saturday afternoon cliff diving champion, right? I mean, seriously, it looks like it's 100 feet. Well, on the way up to the cliff the first time on Monday afternoon, everybody who knows what's coming, they're talking some serious smack. 
And I mean, there's like, I'm going to do a flip. I'm going to do like a, I'm going to dive off the back. I'm going to do a double gainer. I don't even know what that is. And we're just going to do, everybody's trash talking, right? It's like last night, me and Jenny were playing darts. This woman is the biggest trash talker on the planet. And she, she hates it when she loses, and she did. But it's kind of like walking the path with Jen. You know, you just hear that it's like Charlie Brown's school teacher. Wah, 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 you know? And you go all the way to the end where the cliff is, and two or three guys look down and say, mm-mm, no. Well, I want to tell you, nine-year-old boys can be some cruel dudes, man. You walk away from the cliff, and you are branded with everything you don't want to be. So I get up, and it's my turn to jump off the cliff. Dude behind me decides to throw down some serious smack and says, do a flip, Alan. Because, you know, when you don't know kids and you're nine, you're nine years old, what do you do? You call everybody by their last name, right? Do a flip, Alan. Well, I'm thinking to myself, okay, first, I don't want to jump. Secondly, I have no idea how to do a flip. But I'm thinking, you know what? I ain't, I'm not taking the walk of shame like those dudes. This is not happening. So I jump off the cliff, scared to death. I think it probably took two breaths in the time before I hit the water. I am turning over, but the problem is I don't get all the way over. And when I smacked the water, the breath came out of me. When I came up, you know what a sunburned person looks like when they've laid on their back? My body was so red because I smacked that water. It hurt so bad, but you can't scream. So here I am on the same day, I've busted my thumb, and I've busted my body, but let's face it, I'm now a man. <laughs> and at this camp, I had to face this issue of taking the dare. But I would say many of us, especially me, we were talking about this yesterday, I'm 56, right? We worked all day long yesterday in the garage. By the time we ate dinner, I'm pretty sure that there wasn't any part of my body that was moving correctly. I, I was wobbling. At one point, Jenny said, you, you look like you're about to fall over. I didn't say this because I love my wife, and today's our wedding anniversary, and I thought this wouldn't be cool, but I wanted to look at her and say, you're not doing so hot yourself, babe. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, we, we were tired, man. I got up this morning. Never mind. So take your Bibles and find the 14th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. And in Matthew's gospel, in the 14th chapter, let's look down at verse 22. Sometimes we have to face our fears. Sometimes we have to embrace the adventure. Sometimes we need to take a, take, just take the dare and just need to plunge into a daring faith. Well, today we're going to read the story and talk about the story that is told in Matthew's gospel about how the, the disciples are out on a boat and the storm has come up and Jesus comes to the rescue. Now, before I tell you this, I want to give you a little backstory. So if you go back a few chapters, you find that the same guys are in a boat, maybe the same boat, at least a similar boat, on the same piece of water, and a storm has come up. Now you might be thinking, okay, how did the same group of people, maybe just a few months apart, how did they get stuck on the same body of water in a storm in a similar boat again? Wouldn't, isn't that what you'd ask? Well, remember, you're asking the person who used a paperclip on all five fingers, right? They're just like you and I. We, send, we tend to make the same mistakes over and over and over again because we choose our path. We like what we want to do. We want to control that. So back a few chapters, Jesus 
knowing the disciples are in a mess. He's asleep in the helm of the boat. The disciples go over to wake up Jesus and say, how can you sleep in a time like this? And Jesus stands up, and as you know the rest of the story, he says, peace be still, and all of creation stops, and now it's quiet. And the disciples at the end of that story say, who is this man? They ask the question. At the end of that story, Jesus, all of creation has stopped. Jesus has said, peace be still, and all of creation stopped. The wind stopped howling, the lightning stopped flashing, the thunder stopped rolling, the wind stopped blowing, and the boat was still, and the water was beautiful. And they said, who is this man? That was their response. Now, here we are a few chapters fast forward to the 14th chapter, and we find same guys, similar boat, maybe even the same boat, headed out on the same body of water, and listen to what Scripture says, beginning in verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, He went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, if you've been on that body of water, and I've been there a few times, when the the wind comes rolling over those hills and it gets on that oversized lake, those, those whitecaps can get up in a hurry, and it can happen in a blink of an eye. So they didn't have radar. They didn't have an iPhone to look and see what, you know, the weather channel would say. So what they knew was a wind had come and they were far away from the shore. There are parts in that overgrown lake that we know as the Sea of Galilee. We know that in that water, in that body, that there are parts that are very distant from shore. And so there they were. They were too far to swim and they're pretty sure they're going to sink again. And so we find them in this story in a mess again. And so the scripture begins to say in verse 25, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now let's take the first part of that story. At about 3 a.m., there they were. Why are they fishing at 3 a.m.? Well, in that culture and in that time and in that body of water, when you fished, you would not fish in the daytime, you would fish at night. And when you fished at night, you used nets. And the fish you caught were about this big. And oftentimes, you would go from one shallow space to another shallow space to find those fish. And to get to those shallows, you would have to cross over the big part of the water. So it was natural for them to be out at 3 a.m. fishing in the morning. What was unnormal and what was not natural was to see Jesus walking on top of the water headed toward them. Now, if you were if you were fishing at 3 a.m. out on Lake Lanier and a storm came up and you looked out across the bow and you saw Jesus walking on the water toward you, what would you think? What would you do? I mean, I, I think we don't give them enough credit because they, the scripture says in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Duh! They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Now watch this. Whenever we find ourselves in a storm of life and Jesus is coming to us to help us, if we're not careful, we will believe it is so abnormal that we'll forget how wonderful he is. But I want you to get this picture. Jesus is not just like dog paddling. He's not barely making it. He's not doing a breaststroke. He's walking on top of the water. Now, if that happened out at Lake Lanier, and you saw Jesus coming your way, what would you do? Guy stopped me after the 9.30 service out in, in, the, in the lobby, 
And he said, Pastor, I got to tell you, you know what I would do? I said, no, what would you do if Jesus walked across water? He said, I'd hide my beard. There's a breath of honesty for you. <laughs> you know, I, everything in me, again, wanted to say, what brand? <laughs> I, I kind of pegged him as a Budweiser guy myself, but at the same time, that's, that's the first thing he thought of. That's what the first thing he thought of. You know, if you, if you have a carry license, you might pull out your pistol. You certainly would be terrified. You would totally be freaked out because it is so not natural. Listen to me. When Jesus comes to your aid, it is not natural. It is wonderful. When Jesus comes to you, it is not ordinary. It's extraordinary. When Jesus comes to you, listen, it's not natural. It's supernatural. The problem is when we see Jesus coming toward us in the middle of the storm, we want to identify it, control it, understand it, and we want to be able to say, that couldn't be him. It must be a ghost. But watch what happens. Because in verse 27, Jesus speaks to the guys. He speaks to his disciples. And the words he brings is, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Now watch this. Isn't it interesting? Jesus tells these guys three things. The first thing he says is what? Don't be afraid. You know me. Look at me. You know what I look like. You know what I sound like. You know that this can happen. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. You know what he's saying to you tomorrow when you head into that meeting that you don't want to be at? Tomorrow when you're facing the challenge that you've got? Seriously, you know what the Lord is saying? Don't be afraid. The second thing he looks at, what he's saying? Don't be afraid. And he says, take courage. Listen, you don't have to be afraid. I'm coming towards you. I'm coming to help you. I am here for you. In the middle of your storm, I'm not calling from the shore. I'm walking on the water when the waves are hitting me and the wind is howling through my hair and the lightning is flashing. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. And then what is the last thing he says? I am here. Now, what do I know about those first two, first two phrases? Don't be afraid. Why? He is here. Take courage. Why? He is here. See, the challenge for us is to stop and realize that Jesus isn't just here for you between 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. on Sunday. He is with you in the boardroom. He is with you in the closing. He is with you on the job site. He is with you on the car lot. He is with you in the office. He is with you in the cubicle. He is with you when you're cutting grass. He is with you when you're at the ball game with your kid. Listen to me. Jesus wants to walk towards you, and he wants to say, stop being afraid. I died for you. My blood was shed for you. I was buried for you. I rose from the dead for you. Don't be afraid. Why? I am here. But you know what else he says? You can take courage. Listen, you know what I believe we've got to learn to do with our faith? We've got to learn to do something with our faith. I mean, do you really believe Jesus gave his life, shed his blood, went through beatings and torture and a mock trial to be placed in, in, in a borrowed tomb to raise from the dead so that we could be so stinking comfortable in our boat here at Sugar Hill Church that we just simply say, let's just huddle up and let the four of us hang out. Do we really believe Jesus came together and said, now y'all are in the boat, I'm going to send a storm, but tell you what, just hang on. 
Look at what the scripture says, beginning in verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord. Now let's just stop at that word. Peter didn't start off by saying, lifesaver. He didn't start off by saying, coast guard. He didn't start off by saying, teacher. He started off and he said, Lord. Now what's the, what, what is the emphasis on Lord? Because in that context and in that culture, he would have understood that these were people who owned other people or were owned by other people. And to convince and convey, you are my Lord, was him being able to say, Jesus, you own all of me. You own me. I am your servant. You are my Lord. And he starts off and he says, Lord. And then he says, if it's really you, does that not sound like me and you? I mean, seriously, does that not sound like me and you? I mean, I don't know how many times the Lord would, would say something, speak into my life or on my heart, and he said, Chuck, this is what you need to do. But he, I do the same thing Peter does. I mean, some of you guys do. You got to love this guy. I mean, Peter's probably never overthought anything. He's just going on his gut. And what does he say? He says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, you know what? You can talk a lot of smack like the boys at boys camp about having to jump off the cliff, but you got to give Peter a lot of credit here. He says, Lord, now listen, if this is you, I want to know your voice. I want to know it. I want to know it. I want to know it. And I want to do something with it. And look what the Lord says. He says, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now, let me just stop and say, you can give Peter a lot of grief for in, a, in another verse, he's going to lose sight of Jesus and he's surely going to sink. And we always give Peter grief for being the guy who lost the faith, had a faith crisis in his life, and he begins to sink. What about the other 11 dudes shaking for fear in the boat? You know what? They took the walk of shame instead of jumping off the cliff. At least Peter said, Lord, if this is you, let's do this. I don't know about you, but I am tired of sitting in a boat and hearing the Lord say, come on, let's go and grabbing a life preserver instead of trusting him. I don't believe the Lord Jesus gave his life for you so that we could sit in this boat called Sugar Hill Church and for an hour on Sunday play church and be good. I believe the Lord looks at every one of us and says, get out of the boat. What in the world are we waiting for? Jesus who came, who died, who shed his blood. Jesus who was just buried in a, in a, in a borrowed tomb, rose from the dead. Do you believe that because of your circumstances, it took him an extra drop of blood or a little more pressure on the rock. Listen, friend, when we say, Jesus, you are my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my King, I accept the fact that you died for me, paid the price for my sin, you rose for me so that I can be in heaven with you someday, and you are my Lord. And we say that, Jesus, get in my boat. Come on, let's get in the boat. Let's get in the boat. But listen to me, he never, ever asked you to get in the boat without him at some point saying, let's get out of the boat. To sit in the boat and do nothing? I mean, seriously, think of a faith that asks you to do nothing but to show up on Sunday for an hour. That does not sound like a daring faith that promises heaven. That doesn't sound like a savior who would come and walk with us through the trials of life and the storms of life. At some point, I believe the Lord is saying, do something. Do something. I don't know what your boat is. What, what if Jesus is calling you out of your boat to walk next door to that person you've been in the office with for 20 years and they have no idea 
you have, you have a life of faith in Jesus Christ because they've never heard you say it. What if you were to say, you know what? I'm getting out of my boat. I'm going next door. What about that neighbor next door? That you, what if you were to say, I'm going to get out of my boat, Lord. I'm going to go talk with them. Uh, what if getting out of your boat is, I'm going to actually try to care for somebody that gets in my path this week. You know why many of us don't get out of the boat? By the way, let me just have a little kind of preacher honesty here. You know why often I don't get out of the boat? I think some of us share this because we don't want to deal with other Christians who are going to slam us with emails and Facebook posts and Twitter feeds and Instagram and tell us how it can't be done and how wrong we are and how dare us. That's why I don't get out of the boat a lot of times because we hide behind things like social media and emails And we don't get out of the boat because we'd rather please the people around us than to answer and honor the Lord. We'd much rather have somebody not not look at us and say, well, look, there, there they go, calls and waves again. I believe the Lord is begging us. I believe he is shaking our boat that we might get out of the boat. Some of us need to just literally do something with our faith. Anything, do something with our faith. A little girl and her mom was walking down, the, uh, walking down the, the bridge just before this service, and mom came up and said, Pastor Chuck, can I talk to you? Yes, ma'am. And she was carrying this big old uh, laundry basket full of stuff. And I said, do you need some help with that? She said, no, 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 that's not what I want to talk to you about. And she set it down, and she said, these bags are filled with things like toiletries and foods and, and, and vitamins. And my daughter here decided this week she, she wanted to start helping people in need she put all these bags together. She said, you, you, you think we could put a table out and let folks help her distribute those? Yes! She got out of the boat. She, she didn't even go to a church sponsor and get out of the boat. She just got out of the boat. I mean, I, I thought this was so cool. A uh, lady in our church decides that on Thursday, you can buy Kroger flowers for dirt cheap. I think all flowers ought to be dirt cheap. They're they're. They're designed to die. But so she buys these flowers, and her daughter and my daughter have gotten together some, and they re- I don't know how y'all do that. You make your flowers look pretty. And then they deliver them to people who are alone and in need. It wasn't church-sponsored. They just got out of the boat. Let me say, get out of the stinking boat. Jesus did not give you a daring faith and a life to sit here for one hour and not do a blessed thing with your faith. What in heaven's name are we waiting on? Jesus says to Peter, come on. You know what he does? Okay, let's go. Can you imagine what he felt like walking on water? Seriously, just let that sink in for a minute. Can you, I know what I'd have done. I would have turned around and looked at the 11 in the boat and Literally, I would have talked so much trash. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, just think about it. That's so ungodly for me to say. But watch what happened to him. In verse 30, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, and here it is again, Lord. So, Lord, call me. Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, and he looked at Peter, and what did he say? You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And then the disciples worshipped him. Now, the first time when Jesus stilled the storm, what did they say? Who is this man 
This time, look at what they said. You really are the son of God. Watch me, folks. Jesus calls you into the boat when you choose to say, I need you, I love you, I need you to be my Lord. But he will never call you in the boat to stay in the boat. At some point, he's asking you, he's begging you, he's pleading with you, step out, come to me, and let's go do something that's wonderful. Let's go do something that's supernatural. Let's go do something that is extraordinary. I love Peter because he just never overthinks it. Lord, just call me. Come, I'm on it. But then we dog him, don't we? How many times do you see a Christian on Facebook just slicing and dashing somebody else of faith because they don't agree with you? Let me say to you, it's easy to write that junk sitting in a boat. Get out of the boat. Let's do something with our faith. I don't know why we wouldn't just get out of the boat. And I believe Jesus is saying, come on, I've got you, let's go. Now listen to me, I, I get it. Aren't, aren't, I guarantee these guys in the boat were so happy there wasn't Disciple Talk Radio on WSB on Monday. I mean, if you turn to Radio Jerusalem, can you imagine? Seriously, or 680 the fan, right? And you know, Peter, he's a good linebacker. I mean, he's, he, and he gets job done, but let's face it, he looked down and sank, what a loser. I mean, you know, then about 10 calls, all just trashing Peter. Finally, some dude calls in and says, but he got out of the boat at least. And then and it swings. And so, so the talk show host, he's going with whichever way, the, you know, the wind is blowing. Aren't you glad there's not like insurance adjuster talk radio? Aren't you glad there's not car salesman talk radio? I can tell you one thing. I'm really glad there's not preacher talk radio because tomorrow I'd hear what y'all actually say at lunch. you know there's a price to pay when you get out of the boat there's a surrender you see Peter said Lord there's a surrender that says you want to walk on the water you want to walk with Jesus you, you got to start you got to make the right place here Lord he owns me he is in charge of me he sits on the throne of my heart when it comes to trusting Jesus I don't know why we don't get out of the boat we got to do something we got to go and do but we also got, we got, to get rid of the, we got to get rid of the deception. We've got to get rid of the disillusionment that, that leads us to believe I, I've called to be a part of something safe. God called me in the boat. He wouldn't want me out of the boat. If I get out of the boat, things aren't going to be good. Listen to me. When Jesus came, do you know who got most angry with him? People in the boat. People, church folk were the folks that got most angry at him. I, I would just say I believe Jesus is calling us to get out. As humans, we are so good at making and building a case in our head why our heart shouldn't follow Jesus. Because we're just trying to figure out, okay, but I, I, if I do that, I can't control it. If I do that, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't understand it. Lord, what would you have me to do? Do the wonderful. Do the extraordinary. Do the supernatural. Why? Because he's calling you out of the boat. He's not going to call you out of the boat and not be there with you. Jesus is going to walk with you. He didn't come. <clears throat> excuse me. He didn't come at the end of the storm. He didn't come before the storm. He came in the middle of the storm. Jesus didn't come to keep you out of the storms of life. He came to walk you through them. Jesus said, let's go. This is what a daring faith is. This is what it looks like. You know what he also had to deal with? Scripture says what happened. He took notice of the waves and the wind. He took notice of that. And when he was distracted by them, you know what happened? He lost faith. He was so distracted by what was around him, 
he lost faith. Listen, here's what happens. When we don't give God part of our every day, we are so easily distracted. We're like overloading ADD, ADD, HD. We got it all because I got to go, I got to shower, I got to clean up, I got a meeting, I got to run, I got to listen, I got to walk, I got a phone. You name it, we got to do all those things. But what might happen if you said part of my getting out of the boat is tomorrow morning I'm going to start listening to the Word of God. I'm going to listen to a five-minute podcast. I'm going to listen to the Word of God. What if right after that you would be able to read Scripture, maybe plan out a you version, or he reads truth or she reads truth, a great app that's totally free, download it, and Scripture will be fed to you in the morning. And it's meaningful, it's purposeful. I hear the Word of God. I read the Word of God. What if then, if, what if you took he reads truth, guys in particular, and you were able to answer and respond? Listen, you know what the church is dying for? Men and women who would be sold out to God, that they would say, I want to hear the word. I want to read the word. I want to respond to the word. And then finally, I want to pray. I want to pray in such a way that, Lord, when you call me out of the boat, not only will I be safe, but you'll use me for something that matters. What if we were to become a people that would say, you are my Lord, and as a result, I want to hear from you. I want to read from you. I want to respond to you. I want to pray to you. And when we do that, I believe many of us say, but you know, Chuck, if I stay in the boat, I can just read my little Max Licato book. I don't have to tell anybody about my faith. I don't have to go help people that are hungry. I don't have to go serve people that are homeless. I can just stay in my boat. I'm so stinking comfortable in this boat, Chuck. I mean, every now and then the boat's too loud. I mean, every now and then the, the temperature in the boat's not good. Every now and the preacher goes long, but you know the boat's safe. I mean, God deliver us from being safe boat sitters. I don't believe he puts you on the boat, sit on the boat. When I, was, uh, when I was about 15, well, I was 15, my dad moved us after the first day after school, between, right after my sophomore year of high school. He moved us to Lubbock, Texas. When you get to Lubbock, Texas, the native tree there is a telephone pole. The only thing in Lubbock, Texas is Texas Tech, which isn't saying a whole lot, and prairie dogs. I was such a brat. I made my mom and dad's life miserable, whining every day about wanting to come back to Georgia. While I lived there at 15, I bought my second car. My first car was a 1964 Rambler Classic with a flathead six, a three-speed on the column and overdrive, and when you hit the gas, it looked like you were spraying for mosquitoes. I sold that bad boy and bought me a 1972 Chevy Monte Carlo. Boom. The kind with the dark green and the light green Landau top and swivel seats. Yeah, that's back when WSB played music. In Lubbock, Texas, I made my mom and dad so miserable, dad agreed to let me get in the car at 15 and drive back to Georgia on my own. Can you imagine? This is pre-GPS, this is pre-cell phones. I mean, I had a map and a totally stupid willing heart. I remember spending the night at Vicksburg, Mississippi in a rest area. Can you imagine the odds of me not being your pastor now just based on that one statement? <laughs> I came through Alabama somewhere, 
and I filled up with gas. And when I got back in my 72 Monte Carlo with the Landau roof and the swivel seats, I turned the key and got nothing. Now, when you're 15 and you are nowhere near anything but a payphone, you freak out just a tad. So I go in to see this dude working in the gas station. It was a Chevron station. And I walk in and I say, my car won't start. And here's what he says. Mm. I said, could you take a look at it? Mm. We go out and lift the, the hood on this Monte Carlo, which is about 14 feet long, it feels like. I mean, you needed a, a captain's license to drive this bad boy. We open the hood, and I hear him tinking around on something in it, and he looks around the corner of the hood, and he goes, hmm, fired up. Now, if you don't know what that means, that means fire it up. <laughs> but that's not what he said. He looked around the corner and said, fired up. So you know what I did? I fired it up. Car caught, he slams the hood, he says, you be all right. <laughs> okay, what was it? Oh, you let that little thing go on your bar, you connect him loose. <laughs> what? Why do people not come with subtitles? Right? And then it hit me. Oh, that one cable, I did, he just tightened the, the nut on that one cable that connects to the battery. And then all I had to do was fart up. Listen to me, folks. Jesus is calling you to get out of the boat. And some of us have got the same problem my 72 Monte Carlo had. You're just not connected to the right power source. You get out of the boat thinking you're going to sink because you don't know the one who's going to hold you up. All you got to do is connect to the right power source if you're going to get fired up. But I fear... Most of us have never gotten out of the boat. Most of us have, have never taken a look at Scripture and said, wait a minute, I, I can do this. I, 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 I can do this. But what's going to happen the next time Jesus calls you out of the boat? Well, what happens tomorrow when somebody in need that you're in the path of that you could meet? You're you going to stay in the boat and then call the church and say, hey, I know somebody in need? Or are you going to meet their need? Well, my, the guy I work with, his, his father passed away. I mean, call the church, and you know, the preacher's supposed to go do those things. What if you went next door and prayed with that guy? What, what if Jesus is calling you out of the boat, and you're turning the ignition, and I got nothing? Because, see, there's only two kind of people in the room today. People in the boat and people that aren't in the boat. Because see, Jesus calls you and says, come on, get in a boat with me. I died for you. I shed my blood for you so you could have forgiveness for your sins. When you choose to follow me and accept my death, my burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin, you can get in a boat with me. It's comfortable in there. It's safe in there. But I'll promise you, friend, Jesus will never call you in the boat without a plan to call you back out of the boat. But I want you to know that when you get in a boat with Jesus, what happened to the storm? You got good and calm. You see, whether you're out of the boat or in the boat, what Jesus is saying with me, this is where you're going to find your greatest adventure. This is where you're going to find safety. You got to do something with your faith. You, you got to get rid of the distractions. You got to lose the disillusionment. You got to make sure you're, you're, you're on this and you want to do this. You know what I would just plead with you? 
Let's just look right here for a minute. Maybe I've lost a third of you in there. Just look right here. I believe the Lord is looking at every one of us sitting in this boat this day, saying, I want to make sure that you can be in the boat, and I want to make sure you can come back to the boat. I want you to trust me. I believe the Lord is saying, trust me. But maybe you've been in the boat for 20 or 30 years. And you know Jesus has called you to get out of the boat to do something wonderful, not normal. And you're worried, is he really going to be there to catch me when I fall? And everything in the character of God and every teaching we have in Scripture would say, not only will he be there to catch you when you fall, he's going to call you out of the boat and let you do something that's pretty amazing with your life. But you've got to start by getting in the boat knowing he's going to call you out. Let's pray. Father, today, we know you've called us into the boat. We know you've called us out. I pray we'd be a people who would have the courage and the strength to walk out of that boat onto that water, to walk with you in the power and in the presence of the great I am. Lord, like Peter said, I need you. Oh, I need you every day, every hour, I need you. So, Lord, I pray we would we'd step into the boat by faith in you. And when you call us out by faith, we'd look at you and say, Lord, you're calling me. We'd know your voice. We'd hear your voice. God, we'd jump off the cliff. We'd get out of the boat. Lord, I pray we'd connect to the right power source and we'd just get all fired up to make a difference for you. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.